Section two of Arm of the Law by Harry Harrison. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. He must be brighter than he looks, I said. He never stopped to ask where Greenback's store is. The chief nodded, and the phone rang again. His hand was still resting on it, so he picked it up by reflex. He listened for a second, and you would have thought someone was pumping blood out of his heel from the way his face turned white. The hold-up's still on, he finally gasped. Greenback's delivery boy is on the line, calling back to see where we are. Says he's under a table in the back room. I never heard the rest of it because I was out the door and into the car. There were a hundred things that could happen if Ned got there before me. Guns could go off, people hurt, oh, lots of things. And the police would be to blame for it all, sending a tin robot to do a cop's job. Maybe the chief had ordered Ned there, but clearly, as if the words were painted on the windshield of the car, I knew I would be dragged into it. It never gets very warm on Mars, but I was sweating. Nineport has fourteen traffic regulations, and I broke all of them before I had gone a block. Fast as I was, Ned was faster. As I turned the corner, I saw him open the door of Greenback's store and walk in. I screamed brakes in behind him and arrived just in time to have a gallery seat. A shooting gallery at that. There were two hold-up punks, one behind the counter making like a clerk, and the other lounging off to the side. Their guns were out of sight, but blue-coated Ned busting through the door like that was too much for their keyed-up nerves. Up came both guns like they were on strings, and Ned stopped dead. I grabbed for my own gun and waited for pieces of busted robot to come flying through the window. Ned's reflexes were great, which I suppose is what you should expect of a robot. Drop your guns. You are under arrest. He must have had on full power or something. His voice blasted so loud my ears hurt. The result was just what you might expect. Both torpedoes let go at once, and the air was filled with flying slugs. The show windows went out with a crash, and I went down on my stomach. From the amount of noise I knew they both had recoilless fifties. You can't stop one of those slugs. They go right through you and anything else that happens to be in the way. Except they didn't seem to be bothering Ned. The only notice he seemed to take was to cover his eyes. A little shield with a thin slit popped down over his eye lenses. Then he moved in on the first thug. I knew he was fast, but not that fast. A couple of slugs jarred him as he came across the room, but before the punk could change his aim, Ned had the gun in his hand. That was the end of that. He put on one of the sweetest hammer locks I have ever seen and neatly grabbed the gun when it dropped from the limp fingers. With the same motion that slipped the gun into a pouch, he whipped out a pair of handcuffs and snapped them on the punk's wrists. Hold up Nick number two was heading for the door by then, and I was waiting to give him a warm reception. There was never any need. He hadn't gone halfway before Ned slid in front of him. There was a thud when they hit that didn't even shake Ned, but gave the other a glazed look. 
He never even knew it when Ned slipped the cuffs on him and dropped him down next to his partner. I went in, took their guns from Ned, and made the arrest official. That was all Greenback saw when he crawled out from behind the counter, and it was all I wanted him to see. The place was a foot deep in broken glass and smelled like the inside of a Jack Daniels bottle. Greenback began to howl like a wolf over his lost stock. He didn't seem to know any more about the phone call than I did. So I grabbed a hold of a pimply-looking kid who staggered out of the storeroom. He was the one who had made the calls. It turned out to be a matter of sheer stupidity. He had worked for Greenback only a few days, and didn't have enough brains to realize that all hold-ups should be reported to the protection boys instead of the police. I told Greenback to wise up his boy as look at the trouble that got caused. Then pushed the two ex-hold-up men out to the car. Ned climbed in back with them, and they clung together like two waifs in a storm. The robot's only response was to pull a first-aid kit from his hip and fix up a ricochet hole in one of the thugs that no one had noticed in the excitement. The chief was still sitting there with that bloodless look when we marched in. I didn't believe it could be done, but he went two shades whiter. "'You made the pinch,' he whispered. Before I could straighten him out, a second and more awful idea hit him. He grabbed a handful of shirt on the first torpedo and poked his face down. "'You with China Joe?' he snarled. The punk made the error of trying to be cute. So the chief let him have one on the head with the open hand that set his eyes rolling like marbles. When the question got asked again, he found the right answer. I never heard of no China Joe. We just hit town today and— Freelance, by God! The chief sighed and collapsed into his chair. Lock em up and quickly tell me what in hell happened. I slammed the gate on them and pointed a none-too-steady finger at Ned. There's the hero, I said. Took him on single-handed, wrestled them for a fall, and made the capture. He's a one-robot tornado, a power for good in this otherwise evil community. And he's bulletproof, too. I ran a finger over Ned's broad chest. The paint was chipped by the slugs, but the metal was hardly scratched. This is going to cause me trouble, big trouble the chief wailed. I knew he meant with the protection boys. They did not like punks getting arrested and guns going off without their okay. But Ned thought the chief had other worries and rushed in to put them right. There will be no trouble. At no time did I violate any of the robotic restriction laws. They are part of my control circuits and therefore fully automatic. The men who drew their guns violated both robotic and human law when they threatened violence. I did not injure the men, merely restrained them. It was all over the chief's head, but I like to think I could follow it. And I had been wondering how a robot, a machine, could be involved in something like law application and violence. Ned had the answer to that one, too. Robots have been assuming these functions for years. Don't recording radar meters pass judgment on human violation of automobile regulations? A robot alcohol detector is better qualified to assess the sobriety of a prisoner than the arresting officer? 
At one time, robots were even allowed to make their own decisions about killing. Before the robotic restriction laws, automatic gun pointers were in general use. Their final development was a self-contained battery of large anti-aircraft guns. Automatic scan radar detected all aircraft in the vicinity. Those that could not return the correct identifying signal had their courses tracked and computed. Automatic fuse cutters and loaders readied the computer-aimed guns, which were fired by the robot mechanism. There was little I could argue about with Ned, except maybe his college professor vocabulary, so I switched the attack. But a robot can't take the place of a cop. It's a complex human job. Of course it is. But taking a human policeman's place is not the function of a police robot. Primarily I combine the functions of numerous pieces of police equipment, integrating their operations and making them instantly available. In addition, I can aid in the mechanical processes of law enforcement. If you arrest a man, you handcuff him. But if you order me to do it, I have made no moral decision. I am just a machine for attaching handcuffs at that point." My raised hand cut off the flow of robotic argument. Ned was hipped to his ears with facts and figures, and I had a good idea who would come off second best in any continued discussion. No laws had been broken when Ned made the pinch, that was for sure. But there are other laws than those that appear on the books. China Joe was not going to like this, not at all, the chief said, speaking my own thoughts. The law of tooth and claw. That's one that wasn't in the law books, and that was what ran Nineport. The place was just big enough to have a good population of gambling joints, bawdy houses, and drunk rollers. They were all run by China Joe, as was the police department. We were all in his pocket, and you might say he was the one who paid our wages. This is not the kind of thing, though, that you explain to a robot. Yeah, China Joe. I thought it was an echo at first, then realized that someone had eased in the door behind me. Someone called Alex. Six feet of bone, muscle, and trouble. China Joe's right-hand man. He imitated a smile at the chief, who sank a bit lower in his chair. China Joe wants you should tell him why you got smart cops going around and putting the arm on people and letting them shoot up good liquor. He's mostly angry about the hooch. He says that he had enough guff, and after this you should— I am putting you under robot arrest, pursuant to Article 46, Paragraph 19 of the Revised Statutes. Ned had done it before we realized he had even moved. Right in front of our eyes, he was arresting Alex and signing our death warrants. Alex was not slow. As he turned to see who had grabbed him, he had already dragged out this cannon. He got one shot in, square against Ned's chest, before the robot plucked the gun away and slipped on the cuffs. While we gaped like dead fish, Ned recited the charge in what I swear was a satisfied tone. The prisoner is Peter Rajumsky, 
alias Alex the Axe, wanted in Canal City for armed robbery and attempted murder, also wanted by local police of Detroit, New York, and Manchester on charges of— Get it off me! Alex howled. We might have, too, and everything might have still been straightened out, if Benny Bug hadn't heard the shot. He popped his head in the front door just long enough to roll his eyes over our little scene. Alex! They're putting the arm on Alex! Then he was gone, and when I hit the door he was nowhere in sight. China Joe's boys always went around in pairs, and in ten minutes he would know all about it. Book him, I told Ned. It wouldn't make any difference if we let him go now. The world has already come to an end. Fats came in then, mumbling to himself. He jerked a thumb over his shoulder when he saw me. What's up? I see little Benny Bug come out of here like the place was on fire, and almost get killed driving away. Then Fats saw Alex with the bracelets on, and turned sober in one second. He just took a moment to gape, then his mind was made up. Without a trace of a stagger, he walked over to the chief and threw his badge on the desk in front of him. I'm an old man, and I drink too much to be a cop. Therefore I am resigning from the force, because if that is whom I think it is over there with the cuffs on, I will not live to be a day older as long as I am around here. Rat! The chief growled in pain through his clenched teeth. Deserting the sinking ship, rat! Squeak! Fat said, and left. The chief was beyond caring at this point. He didn't blink an eye when I took Fats's badge off the desk. I don't know why I did it. Perhaps I thought it was only fair. Ned had started all the trouble, and I was just angry enough to want him on the spot when it was finished. There were two rings on his chest plate, and I was not surprised when the badge pin fitted them neatly. There, now you are a real cop. Sarcasm dripped from the words. I should have realized that robots are immune to sarcasm. Ned took my statement at face value. This is a great honor, not only for me, but for all robots. I will do my best to fulfill all the obligations of the office. Jack Armstrong in tin underwear. I could hear the little motors in his guts humming with joy as he booked Alex. End of section 2